Thanks. My name is Chris. It's great to see you here. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm also a dad. And before we jump into today's text, I just want to take just a second to remind our dads the role you're in. It's a, it's, you could be replaced. Let me put it this way. You could be replaced more easily in any other role that you've got than the role of father. We've put up stats like this in the past. Let me just quick put these up again. I mean, this stuff, it's astounding. Let me throw up the, uh, the, the stats. Here's some basic stuff on why dad's influence matters. We see that fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. 90% of all homeless and runaway youth are from fatherless homes. And this last one, I knew it would be higher, but check this out. Vulnerability to rape and sexual abuse for girls increases by 900% when dad isn't in the home. Dad's does our influence matter? <laughs> yeah. It, it matters. And then specific to faith, take a look at these. Uh, this is out of a, of a, a study they did in Sweden, um, but it, it seems to reflect generally what, what you see. They said what, they studied um, when neither parent attends church, and they found that only 4%, if neither parent attends church, only 4% of their adult children will attend church regularly. 15% will attend on occasion, and 80% won't attend at all. So parents, just in general, parents... Does our example matter? Yeah. And look at this. When both parents, when both parents attend church regularly, 33% of their adult children will attend church regularly. 41% will attend on occasion. And 26 won't attend at all. Now let's break this down by gender. Take a look at this. Dad, your example matters. If mom attends church regularly and dad doesn't, only 3% of their adult children will attend church regularly. You see that? Dad, if you stay home, if you don't make this a priority, wow. 59% on occasion will attend on occasion, 38 won't attend at all. But look at this. If dad attends regularly, even if mom doesn't, 38% of their adult children will attend church regularly, 44 will attend on occasion. I, um, I was throwing these stats out at the first service as well, and somebody came up to me after the service. She came up and she said, you know, I don't want to just not even just with the dads, just with the men in general. She said, I was sitting in the back and I'm looking and I'm so used to at the churches I've been attending. I'm so used to seeing, first of all, all gray hair and then woman, 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 woman. And she says, I'm looking out and I'm just looking at the involvement of the guys here. So way to go, fellas, way to step up, way to be involved, way to set the example. Well, back, let's get into our message here today. Today is tart, part two of a four-part teaching series on the book of Jonah. Um, we're spending four weeks on this. And, and, you know, you'd think this is a children's story. This is something we've, we all know. Boy, I, I wish I had three or four weeks just on chapter two which we're spending time on today. We had to leave a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor, so we're going to be diving in, we're going to be going fast. But I want to frame this before we dive into chapter 2, where we're going to spend most of our time. I want to frame it for those who weren't here. Um, I want to emphasize a couple of things. So the first thing I want to emphasize, and there's a place to write this down in your notes, first thing I want to emphasize is this. There is much more to Jonah's story than a reluctant prophet, a repentant people, and a really big fish. There is a lot here. There is a lot here. This is one of the reasons we encourage people to get into true Bible study. Because if you just do a reading, a quick reading, you'll get a lot. But when you really dive in, there is so much there, so much richness. 
Some of the backstory that we're going to get into, I mentioned this last week, some of the backstory that we're going to get into is very graphic. In fact, if you normally don't send your kids out to kids' church, we're going to ask next week that everybody does. Because some of the stuff that we're going to look at um, next week is not meant for, for little ears. Some of the surrounding events and circumstances that were happening in the world. Um, if you're familiar, or if you're not, I should say, if you're not familiar with Jonah's story, or if you've been told Jonah's story is a myth, I'd encourage you to listen to last week's podcast because we pressed into a couple of these things. We, we looked at how Jonah was a real person. He was a real prophet from Galilee. We looked at how the city where God sent Jonah was a real ancient city, the city of Nineveh. You can go to modern-day Iraq. You can see the actual mounds where the city once stood. And it was fascinating to find out that on one of those mounds where the ancient city of Nineveh stood, there's a Muslim, uh, Muslim shrine, a Muslim um, mosque on that very site, and it commemorates who? The prophet Jonah. And what's hanging in that Muslim mosque that, rep- that uh, commemorates Jonah? What's hanging in there? Whalebone. This stuff's fascinating. This is fascinating. So it was a real person, it was a real place, and something happened with that real person. Something happened in that real place. Something happened in the middle of the 8th century BC. And that something, I would present to you, is documented in what we now call the book of Jonah. Well, last week we covered most of chapter 1. For those who weren't here, here's a very quick recap. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet Jonah. Jonah was told, head east to the city of Nineveh with a specific message. Instead, Jonah boards a ship that's headed west. As far west as you could go in those days without dropping off the map. But Jonah doesn't get far because God sends a great storm. And the storm is so great, we read in our text, that the ship's crew abandons tactical maneuvering in favor of crying out to their gods for help. It isn't long before they reach the conclusion that Jonah is somehow to blame and their suspicions are proven true when Jonah fesses up that he's running from the God of the earth and the sea. To which the sailors reply, what? Are you kidding? You offended the God of the sea and you hopped on our boat? Are you insane? And they didn't want to risk offending the sea God anymore by killing one of the sea God's worshipers So the crew makes one last desperate attempt to row to safety. But it felt, at least as they describe it in in the book of Jonah, it felt like the sea itself was raging against them the more they pressed towards shore. So with no other options left on the table, because the table had already been pitched overboard, they cry out to the God of Jonah. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. If you have your Bibles, let's open up Jonah. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible at home, we encourage you to to take one free. We keep a stack. Now we got divided up on two tables. There's some Bibles there. Bibles there. Please take one as a gift to you. Now, I would encourage you, even if you normally don't bring your Bibles, we open them up every every Sunday together. But it would be especially helpful, I think, during this series because we're going to spend almost our entire time in one chapter. And you can see kind of how this stuff fits together. It's very, very interesting. All right, so here we go. We're going to... Start at the last part of Jonah chapter 1, and then we're going to cover chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 14, says this, Therefore, these sailors called out to the Lord, O Lord, don't let us perish for this man's life, and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, you've done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. 
And the men feared the Lord. And that word fear can mean not just scare, but in this case it means they revered. They, 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 they saw him with, with awesome wonder. They feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Remember that. But they made a sacrifice and made vows. We're going to see that language used again. So here's what happens. You know, these guys were all crying out to their individual gods because that's what you had back in the day. You had your gods of your people. You had your gods of your land. You had these different individual gods. They're all crying out to their individual gods, but when they hurl Jonah into the sea and the sea goes calm, they said, there's one God that we're going to worship and we're going to sacrifice and we're going to make vows to, and it's this God. Now, if, you're, if your Bibles might have, like we have it on the screen here, where you see the word Lord capitalized. That's not like in texting where you want to be like, wow, let's put an emphasis on this word. When you see that in most of your Bibles or on the screens here, what that means is that this is a word that's being used to describe the holy name of the holy God of Israel, a very specific God. In fact, the, way, the reason they do this in many of our Bibles is that name is considered so holy by so many people that they do this so as not to offend them because they're afraid to even pronounce it. You know, so so it's, it's, it's that one specific God, the God of Israel, the God of Jonah, that now all of these people are crying out to, all these sailors are crying out to together. They all cry out to the same God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, the God who they just saw start and stop the wind. And when this God answers their cries for salvation, they hold him and him alone in highest regard. They offer sacrifices to him, they make vows. And that brings us then to the part of the story that most of us already know. And that is found in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, The Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Now it says here in most, in, in most of our Bibles, it says a great fish. The Lord appointed a great fish. And I used to correct my daughters, you know, when they would say, Oh, Jonah and the whale. I said, well, technically, kids. Such a couple years of seminary messes you up so bad. You know, technically, kids, it's a it's a fish. Well, technically, this word that's translated as fish can mean a fish or a whale. You know, they didn't split the hairs. You know, with the definition. So if you say whale, that's fine. If you say fish, it's fine. We don't know. We just it just says really big fish. But here's here's the thing: whether it was a great big fish, whether it's a great big whale, we're being asked to believe something miraculous here. This is a really important point. We're being asked to believe something miraculous. We're being asked to believe that, that Jonah was swallowed by a giant fish and was able to survive for three days. The ancients, you know, sometimes we think, oh, the ancient people, they would have just been able to accept this. That would have been hard for them to swallow as well. He got swallowed by a fish and survived. So make no mistake, what we're being asked to believe here is a miracle. There's no way around it. There's no, if, if you've got a critic who says, that couldn't have happened, concede that point to them. We're being asked to believe in a miracle. And this isn't the only miracle we're asked to believe in Jonah. We're asked to believe that God spoke to Jonah. We're being asked to believe that God hurled a great wind on the sea. We're asked to believe that God intensified the storm to such a degree where it threatened to rip the boat apart, but it stopped just short of doing so. We're asked to believe that God called Jonah to fall out or his lot. They cast lots to see who did this. We're asked to believe that Jonah's lot fell out. We're asked to believe that, jo that God called the seas to stop as soon as Jonah was tossed overboard. And then we're asked to believe that God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah whole and then vomit him out on dry land alive. We're asked to believe those things. And if you 
are going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to be asked to believe the unbelievable. Let me say that again. If you're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be asked to believe that the unbelievable is possible. And you might be thinking, ah, you're a pastor. You know, they teach you all those myths and stuff at pastor school. Of course you believe these things. And and if that's what you're thinking, you need to know this about me. I, I was a convert to a belief in a personal and supernatural God. I grew up in a home that was a home of faith. And, and, but here's the thing. We didn't grow up in a home where we, where we talked about God's going to do a miracle. I, I, can't, I don't have a conscious memory ever when I was a kid of either at home or at church seeing something that was attributed to God as a miracle. I, I never remember seeing that. In fact, the church where I spent my most formative years, um, our pastor, he got up and he was giving a sermon on the, um, the feeding of the 5,000. I remember this so clearly. He was giving a, a, a teaching on the feeding of the 5,000. He said, of course, all of you know this wasn't a miracle as we understand miracles. Here's what the miracle was. The miracle was as Jesus shared his food with others, people saw his generosity and then they responded. And they pulled from their cloaks the food that they had brought and they shared it with everyone. And that's the miracle. And Yeah. And, and so just so you know, I mean, that was my growing up. You know, I, I in, in Hastings Senior High, I took calculus. I took physics. I took the sciences. When I went to college, I did the same. There is no room for the supernatural on a physics test. You don't get credit for saying God did it. You know, never once on any of my calculus tests or biology tests or chemistry tests or human anatomy tests, did I ever answer, I don't know. It must have been a miracle. I I didn't, I didn't write that. I wasn't encouraged to write that. Do I understand and believe in natural laws? Yes, I do. Of course I do. But I submit to you, as someone who's studied the same laws and formulas, as someone who's crammed for the same exams, as someone who's spent hundreds of hours in the lab and thousands of dollars on books that could put anybody to sleep, (laughs) as someone who's been there, I understand and trust science and natural laws. But I've come to believe that there is a God who is not bound to the laws that he created. Let me say that again. I've come to believe in a God that is not bound to the laws that he created. And if you hold a fixed position, you say, I'm not even going to be open to the supernatural, then you'll never be able to embrace Christianity. Because Christianity isn't just about principles. We're asked to believe in an unbelievable God. And that's the point of Jonah's story. The, the, the supernatural physical stuff, it just serves as a backdrop to present the real amazing stuff. All this stuff about giant fish and all that kind of stuff, it's to get people kind of on edge. The narrator's doing this on purpose, get people on kind of edge. Wow, supernatural. This God you're saying controls the sea and he does this and that and the other thing. Yeah, and, and the point of it is to point us towards the real unbelievable stuff. That there is a God who will pursue one of his own who ran from him. Who won't just shoot him with a lightning bolt, but will pursue him. We're asked to believe, unbelievably so, we're asked to believe in a God who cares about these people of Nineveh who were cruel, brutal people. 
that God cared about them and would reach out to them. We're asked to believe that. Now, as a former skeptic, I love what's called apologetics. Love apologetics. I love discussing facts and logic that support our beliefs. I love that stuff. But right now, if I were to come to you and I were to try to present a case of, well, here's how he, Jonah could have possibly survived in a giant fish, I would be doing you a disservice. It would be a red herring, pun intended. Because it would steer us away from where this narrative is taking us. This narrative is having us press in to a supernatural God. It's having us press into it, yeah. It's, it's, the story of Jonah is one where the physical miracles merely prepare those with ears to hear that which is truly unbelievable, that the God of Israel is a God who reaches out to those who sin against him. That he's a God who reaches out to those who sin against him in their ignorance and also those who blatantly defy his commands. But he will reach out to us. That's unbelievable. And this story in Jonah is just a shadow of what we call the gospel story, the miraculous account of God sending his son into our world to die on a cross for our sins. That's unbelievable. And that's the God that we're asked to believe in. And here's the thing. My experience has been, as I let go of my supernatural bias, as I began to be open to that, I've experienced things that none of my science training could, could explain. I saw God start and stop the wind. I saw it. I've been in the room with some of you when, when a miraculous healing occurred. I, I've had God tell me things that I couldn't have known. I can't control this. We can't, we can't just say, God, because I prayed this prayer, then you must, because he's God. He's God. But I've seen it. And then the most amazing thing is, I get a little choked up on this, is, that I've had a chance to experience a God who pursues me when I'm not worth pursuing. That's the unbelievable peace that we can embrace when we embrace Christianity. Amen. This kind of amazing grace is the kind of, kind of faith that can forever change us. All right, back to our text. Jonah chapter 2. Here it comes. Jonah chapter 2. In Jonah chapter 2, we read, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the sea. Wait a minute, who cast him into the sea? It was the sailors, wasn't it? He says, you, God, you cast me into the sea, into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I will look again upon your holy temple. Now, I want to just do a quick little apologetics thing here, because there's times where you can see the argument, there's other times where you go, whoa, it's not that simple. Here's one of these times where someone might step in and say, ah, the Bible's full of errors. How do I know the Bible's full of errors? It's real simple. In the end of Jonah chapter 1, when Jonah is swallowed by the whale, the Hebrew that is used there, it uses the masculine form of fish. And here in chapter 2, when they're talking about the fish, it uses the feminine form. Ha-ha, does God not keep track of these things? You know, well... This is a case where, again, you don't need to concede the point, at least not too early. All you need to do is just look at the text. Chapter 1 is narrative. Chapter 1 is they're telling the account. 
And perhaps that fish was a male fish. I don't know how you check when you're falling down and everything, but it's, you know, it's, it, maybe it was. And the Holy Spirit's like, let's just get this accurate. So chapter one is, chapter one is narrative. But then chapter two, it's a prayer and it's poetry. And when you're doing poetry, you have poetic license to use poetic imagery. And I believe what's going on here is just by shifting the verb form, making this little shift, all of a sudden you're setting up this whole thing that this prayer is setting up. Jonah's about to be reborn. And you, you, you pick up on that because some of the stuff, at least in Hebrew, you would see is when it uses the word distress, that's a Hebrew birthing term. Can I get some amens from the women there? The moms, right? Distress, in my distress, right? And then where it says here, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. That would literally be translated in English as out of the womb, I cried. Out of the womb, I cried. Now, let me talk about that Sheol word. That's not the word, like the name of the whale or something like that. Um, It's an unfamiliar word to many of us, even if we're used to reading the Bible, because it's usually translated as hell. That's the word that often in English is just kind of this catch-all phrase for the realm of the dead that is not heaven. It's more complicated than that in the Bible. You have different words that refer, that have different imagery, I should say, associated with them. And one of them is this word sheol. It's not quite hell as we understand hell, but it's certainly not heaven as we understand heaven. It's this shadowy place, the shadowy realm of the dead. And interestingly enough, it's a place that one would enter by going through a gate made with bars. Keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, so Jonah's prayer. This takes up almost all of chapter 2. We've just started it, and it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah cries out from this place of death, and God hears his voice. Jonah says... It wasn't the sailors that cast me into the deep. It was you. And one day I will look upon your temple. Now that's huge, this part about the temple. Huge. The temple is probably the place where this all began. The temple was was understood to be ground zero for God's presence. This is where God would speak. He wasn't limited to that, but this is the place you'd expect to hear it. It's possibly, many people would say, this is the place where when God said, go to Nineveh, this is where Jonah was. He was in the temple, and he says, once again, I'm able to, to, to hear uh, the, the, the temple. Okay, let's keep reading. Jonah chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came back to you in your holy temple. Now here Jonah describes his descent. He describes this going down. He goes further and further down. Seaweed wraps around his head. He finds himself at the very root of the mountains, possibly some ocean rift to a land whose bars closed on me forever. Now ordinarily there's no hope at this point. He is down deep. You know, he's a prophet from Galilee. He served in Jerusalem. They don't exactly have a diving club there. Even if he's still alive at the bottom, he's not making it back up. He's, he's in trouble here. He sees his life is, is at an end. And it's interesting to note that word bar that I drew your attention to earlier. It's got two meanings in both English and in Hebrew. It's got dual meanings in both. And both are in play in Jonah's case here. He has crossed the barred gates of Sheol as his body hits the ocean floor, where normally his remains would be imprisoned forever in this grave of sand. In both English and in, in um, 
in Hebrew, the word bar can mean prison bars or it can mean sand bars. So even here, at Jonah's lowest point, God is still attentive to Jonah's voice. Jonah cries out to God, and his prayer makes it to God's holy temple. All right, I mentioned earlier that the temple may have been where this whole story started. And I'm beginning to see this story differently on so many different levels, but one of them is this. I used to just assume that, that uh, Jonah is heading to Tarshish. I hate that word. That he's heading to that faraway land because it's the opposite direction of Nineveh. I'm beginning to rethink that. I think it has not so much to do with the opposite direction of Nineveh as, as it is, I want to get as far away from the temple as I can get. Why? He wants to get as far away from the temple as he can get because that's where you hear God's voice. And he really, really, really doesn't want to bring a message of hope to Nineveh. So where can I go? Well, let me get as far away from the temple as I can, going like this, la, 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 all the way. Possibly. That's what's going on here. He wants to get away from the voice of God. But on that ocean floor, Jonah is confronted with the reality that other people of faith have experienced time and time again. Here's how one man of faith named David put it. He puts this, where can I go? I love Psalm 139. I remember to read that to my kids more and more. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I'd encourage you to take a moment, to pull out your notes and write this down. You can run from God's sight. You can't run. Let me say that again. You can't run from God's sight. But you can close your ears to his voice. You can't run from God's sight, but you can close your ears to his voice. It's interesting, you know, when, when God speaks to the, to the wind and the waves, they listen. When God speaks to the, the fish, it listens. God's given us the ability to say no. And we can do things. We can't run from his sight, but we can do things where we close our ears to his voice. Jesus himself said, hey, my people will recognize my voice. And he also said this. He said, if you have ears, let them hear. And there's things that you can do to close your ears to God's voice. Here's just a couple. This is a whole series. We did a whole series, actually, on this last year. You know, do you have ears to hear? Are you reading God's word? Yeah, I, there's people, meaning the Bible. I mean, there's people who say, I never hear God. I never hear God. Well, here's something you can do. Have someone read the Bible out loud to you. These are the words of God. They're the words of God. You learn about God's character. You learn how he responds in certain situations. You learn what, what he loves and what he hates. You see examples of people that followed him and people he didn't. And you see that he is not a God that's easily boxed. You, you, reading is hearing. Reading is hearing. Here's another one. Number two, I mean, do you have ears to hear? Do you seek the advice of mature Christians? If you want to know what does God want, you know, read the Bible. Also, seek the advice of mature Christians. How many of you can testify that when there's something you really want and you know that the answer will be no, if you ask the mature Christian? How many of you are, like, uh, tempted? I think I want to talk to the people who are going to say, yeah, it's okay. Right? 
all the time. We're tempted to go to those who will tell us what we want to hear. And my hope is that all of us could find some mature Christians in our life who will say, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm concerned. It seems like this isn't God's will. It seems like just something you want to do. Are you listening to the advice of mature Christians? Are you seeking it out? Well, here's another thing if, to have ears to hear. You know, find a church that will make you uncomfortable for the right reasons. There's churches that make you uncomfortable for the wrong reasons. Like, oh, I can't believe they just said that, you know, or whatever. It is so hard. I mean, you guys, we have to work together. We have to be vigilant on this one to not become a church that, that is so comfortable where you can just kind of come and go and, and do your thing. There should be some things for hospitality's sake that are, you know, real comfortable, but church should be very countercultural to this culture that we're in. It should be very countercultural. You know, this is, a, this is a, a society that really just wants everyone to just feel good about themselves all the time. Sometimes you should not feel good about the choices you're making because they're not ultimately in your best interest. You know, this is a, this is a culture where they want to define, you know, your, your own realities and, and decide what is right and wrong for you. Well, the, the color of your shirt, yeah, that's, that can be right or wrong for you, but there's other things that don't fit in that category. And we need to look at those things. You know, this should be a place where those who chose, choose to um, become members, you're held accountable because the Bible tells us to do that. To get into relationships where we can just say, hey, like with the case of dads, dad, what are you doing? You, you know, there's times where I wish we had that kind of, more of that, where people could look each other in the eye. We've given us permission to do that. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, where we can look and say, hey, brother, that's irresponsible. You know, those types of things. We, we have to be vigilant about this. All right. Well, one of the reasons we have to be vigilant, we have to keep tuning our ears to hear is this. And we, I think we threw this quote out there last week. I love this quote. It's not my own. I wish it was. I came across it when I was um, reading for the series. If you're running from God, there will always be a ship prepared to take you to that other place that's far west. <laughs> of which we will not try to say. You know, isn't this a true statement? Isn't this a true statement? If, you, if there's something that you're tempted by, there will always be someone there that's just waving in front of your face. If you're trying to avoid a particular sin, it is just seems like it's pursuing you. You know, there will always be people who will tell you what you want to hear, even if you shouldn't be going down that path. If you're running from God, there will always be a ship prepared to take you that direction. Well, let's finish up here. This is Jonah's prayer, and his prayer ends with these words. Look at this first sentence. This is a series in itself. You should, some of us should write this down, put it where we can see it every day. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The thought just occurs to me. Take this. You should write this down and then emphasize different words, different days. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who re pay regard to vain idols Forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope. Their hope of steadfast love. And then emphasizing steadfast. Emphasizing love. This is loaded. But with the voice of thanksgiving, Jonah continues, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, as we're going to see in the week ahead, the weeks ahead, Jonah, he still not learned the lesson that God wanted to teach him. God had a message for the people, but God also wanted to teach Jonah a lesson as well. Jonah hasn't learned it yet. 
But here's the thing, and this is so important for us. He hasn't learned the lesson yet, but now at least he's heading the right direction. He was going the opposite direction. At least now he hasn't learned the lesson yet, but he's now he said, okay, I, that vow I've made, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I'm going to head your way. God's not done with Jonah yet, just as he's never done with any of us. But at least now Jonah's heading the right way. And if you were to read this in, the, in Hebrew, which I'm not able to do, but I've got resources that help me with this, you're able to see, look, the word is being, the narrator is using the same word over and over and over again, at least that word and forms of that word to say that Jonah, he's going down, 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 down. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Jonah goes down to the port. Jonah goes down below the deck of the ship. He's laying down and he falls into a deep sleep. And then he's hurled into the water. He sinks down to the depths, down to the very heart of the seas, down to the very root of the mountains where seaweed wraps around his head, down to the sandy grave. And what did he find when he hits rock bottom? He finds a God that hadn't given up on him. God hadn't given up on him even though he had been going down, down, down. That's the true miracle of the book of Jonah, that all who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. And that's, we see that. The, the narrator does a remarkable job. Well, helps to have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit working with you. Um, look at this. Everyone in this story who calls out to the Lord is saved. Everyone who calls out to the Lord is saved. The sailors, they cried out to the Lord and they were saved. Jonah cried out to the Lord. He was saved. We're going to see in in chapter 3 here, the people of Nineveh call out to the Lord and they were what? Saved. Write this down. This is found... It's, it specifically spells it out, no uncertain two terms, in two different places in the Bible. Acts 2.21, Romans 10.13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Which begs a question. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? You know, I used to be offended when people said, Christianity is a crutch. I used to be offended. And now I'm not so much offended as much as I just think, no, that's not, that's not correct. Because when you have a crutch, you lean on it for support. You lean on it when you need it. Christianity is not a crutch. It's a stretcher. Christianity is one of those things that they just hold on to and you have to just fall on the whole thing because you got no hope anywhere else. You say, I'm not afraid to, I'm not, can't, I'm not just going to lean on this when I need it. I'm all out. I have no other hope, you know, or one of those things, the firemen, the old school firemen pictures, you know, the trampolines or whatever they catch the people with when they fell off. It's like, I got no other hope. I'm going to dive. I'm going to put my full trust in this. And I'm just going to launch myself. I'll have to remember to say that next time if I ever do this. It's more like that. You're just going to launch yourself off the building and you've got no hope. This thing better hold me. These guys better catch me because here I go. That's Christianity. That's calling upon the Lord. No plan B. Here I come. I'm all yours. You don't have to fully understand it. Jonah had a lot to do. You can't be ready. You're never ready. But it's here I am. All of me. I'm calling upon you. And everyone who does that, it says, is saved. Everyone who does that is saved. Here's a mashup. Let's skip to the mashup I put together here of two different verses. Um, one from 1 Timothy 1, 9, one from Romans 12. What does this look like? Here's what it looks like. He has saved us, meaning Jesus. Jesus' name, does, it, does anyone know what Jesus' name means? Not Emmanuel. The name Jesus, it means the Lord saves. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. What is the salvation that Jesus gives us look like? It looks like this. He has saved us and he's called us to a holy life. Holy means set apart. 
Holy doesn't mean goody goody. It means set apart for God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's amazing grace, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So let's give you that opportunity to do just that. Let me ask the worship band to come up. And and what they're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we're going to seal this with a great song of grace called Amazing Grace. There's a reason why that song has stood the test of time. Because we're proclaiming this amazing grace, this unbelievable grace. In a God who would, would, while we're still sinners, would die for us. So let's pray. Let's ask God to, to prepare our hearts as we prepare to declare this great truth. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and we come to you with thankful hearts for all these examples that you've given us of people in so many different situations. Thank you for the example of Jonah because so many of us have been there before where you, we knew the right thing to do, but we didn't do it. We went the opposite direction. Lord, that describes me way more than I wish it did. And I thank you for this example of Jonah where you continue to pursue him. And even though he hit rock bottom, when he turned to you, he had nowhere else to go. But the act of turning to you, his prayers went right to your temple. Thank you for that example. Lord, thank you for the example of um, the sailors. You know, they just didn't know better. And, and I'm sure there's people in here that feel like, you know, I don't even know much about Christianity. I, I haven't spent time in the Bible. I, I wasn't a church person. I just saw the donut holes and, you know, found my way in. And, and Lord... Thank you for the example that you've given there where people who, who just respond to that which they do know can have a whole new real, reality open up to them. And Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll have those people just listen and hear this still small voice that, that continually calls out to them, calling them home. Give them ears to hear, Father. Give them ears to hear. And Lord, I think of um, the other imagery we have when a prophet from Galilee named Jesus was walking on the water and Peter said, I want to come out to you. And, and Peter stood up on the, on the sea and he took that step of faith, but then he got scared and he began to sink. And Lord, thank you for the example of Jesus who reached out his hand and grabbed Peter and got him back in that boat. Thank you because Lord, there's times where I get scared and I get nervous and I hedge my bets and Lord thank you for that example that we have of, of you meeting us and you catching us when we're scared Lord help us to trust you help us to see in this text a clearer glimpse of who you are the supernatural God who can who can who can still do miracles because everybody in this room needs a miracle everybody in this room needs a miracle for themselves, for others. Lord, help them to trust you today and to cry out to you. You're a God of amazing grace. And as we cry out to you, God, may now these cries be cries of proclamation, declaring who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can remain standing. Um, The Bible's filled with all kinds of miracles. 
You got talking donkeys. You've got all kinds of just crazy stuff. There's nothing more miraculous than this. Nothing more miraculous than this. If you'd like someone to pray for to pray with you today or pray for you today, there'll be people on both sides. They'll pray for anything. He's a big God. We can ask him anything. We can ask him anything. Well, next week, here's what we're going to pick up with. Take a look at the screens. Here's the passage that's going to lead us out. Jonah, uh, the Lord speaks to this fish. It vomits him out on dry land. And this is an interesting passage. I used to think that when the, the fish spit him out, that he just then walked up to the city gates. Well, he was 500 miles from Nineveh. You know, I think about that movie, The Hobbit, and uh, sorry for the spoiler alert here, but um, after this huge adventure, huge adventure, the adventurers get dropped off on this mountain, and then they can see in the distance that there's more yet to come. And Jonah, um, he was about to confront a fear that he had that was greater than his fear of death. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Let me pray for us as we go our separate ways here. Father thank you for being a God of amazing grace. And forgive me for right now for even wanting to hedge our bets a little bit and say, you know, all the disclaimers, you know, let me drop all that and just say, God, I pray that that we would start asking you for things that are worthy to ask you of because you're the only one that can answer them. Lord, give us faith to believe in who you are as you really are. The God of heaven, earth and sea the God that so loved us, your creation, that you gave your one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would call upon his name, would be saved. Bless us as we go forth from this place. Bring us back together again in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.